Good morning, Center Church. How is everyone doing this morning? Good. Uh, you probably don't recognize me. Uh, my name is Brad, and uh, I get to serve with John and Lindsay. Uh, we're part of a network of churches called the Zero Collective, and uh, we have a church down in Wayland, so we are your neighbors to the south. We actually live about 10 minutes from here, my wife and I, on a farm indoor, so that is a lot of fun. But as you may or may not have heard, there is a new member of the Center family as of this last week. Little Lennon has arrived, and we are celebrating with them. Can we just like, uh, they're probably watching right now, can we just, yeah, we are celebrating with John and Lindsay, and uh, he was actually supposed to preach this weekend, like four days after his wife had a baby, write a sermon, and I texted him and said, you're not going to do that, because I know what it's like that first week of being a parent. It is no joke, and so I'm stepping in for him this morning, and we're going to close a series that we have been in together as churches called uh, Four People. And we really believe that is the calling of the church. Uh, that is the calling of who we're called to be as Christ followers, as disciples of Jesus. And so I want to ask you, if you will, to join me in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. We're going to just read this verse together just to frame the next two hours that we have together this morning. <laughs> Acts chapter 1, verse 8. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples, some of his last words before he ascends into heaven. So they're pretty important. And this is what he says. But you will receive, what does that first word say? Power. We got to say that with some power. But you will receive power. power. Good. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You see, in this series, we've talked about different groups of people that we believe God is calling us to be intentionally for. The first couple weeks, we talked about how God is for lost people. He is always in pursuit of people who are far from him, who are lost. And then the next two weeks, we talked about God being a God of the generations, that as churches, we are called to be for younger generations, that we are called to be intergenerational, to learn from each other and to grow from each other. And these last two weeks, we're speaking about how God is for people who are different than we are. And so David spoke a couple weeks ago about the woman at the well, and we are finishing our series this morning. So I want to begin by telling you a story. This past year, my friend Josh and I got really into running. We had to do something during COVID, right? So we got really into running, and one day we were running over on Kent Trail, whichever way it is from here, that way, uh, where it starts right by Aylbird there, and we, and we began running. And here's what you need to know about Josh and I. We're super fast. We pass a lot of people. And when I say we pass a lot of people, we pass a lot of people coming towards us, not actually anybody running, you know, in front of us. But there was one guy that was running towards us, and it's fun to people watch while you run. And there was one guy coming towards us that looked different than all the other runners. In fact, when we first saw him kind of in the distance there, we were like, what is that guy doing? He was like something about him was just different and strange and abnormal, and as he got closer and closer, we noticed, no joke, this guy was running fully dressed in his work clothes, like on an actual long run dressed in his work clothes. We're talking dress slacks and dress shoes and a fully drenched in sweat button down shirt. I mean, this guy was committed. It was one of the weirdest things I've ever seen in my life. 
And the craziest part of all of this was it was in the morning. So he was like still having to work after this. Imagine sharing a cubicle or something with, with that guy after he runs. Uh, but as I, I thought about that, I, at first I thought, man, that's really strange. Like I look at dress shoes and my feet just start to hurt. There's no way that's a wise decision. But part of me had some like mad respect for this guy too. Like he is all in for moving his body. He's going to do whatever it takes to exercise and move his body. He is completely out of his element. Completely out of his element. He's running in full dress clothes, sweating, and yet he's not wearing the right stuff. He's, he's out of his element. And as I think about Jesus' final words to his disciples, to his followers, about what this, this Christian movement is going to become, what this discipleship movement is going to come and look like, what he essentially asks his disciples as he leaves them is he's asking them this question here. Are you willing to leave your element for my sake? It is the heartbeat of his final words. Are you willing to go to people who are different than you for my sake? Keep in mind, he's speaking to mostly Jewish people here, and he's saying, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth. And I believe this is the power of the book of Acts. In fact, Acts is this powerful account of the early church getting started and the things that the Holy Spirit does are just phenomenal. You see, right after Jesus ascends into heaven, he sends his disciples to wait in Jerusalem and he says the Spirit will come, the Spirit is coming. And it's 10 days after that that the Spirit comes in power at Pentecost. Last week was Pentecost Sunday. We just celebrated the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon the church. And the, the Spirit comes and all of these incredible things happen, right? They're speaking in tongues and there is prophesying and there is healing and there are salvations and signs. and I mean, it is this really, really big deal. The Spirit is moving in power in the, in the early church. But there's just one problem. When you read the first seven, eight chapters of the book of Acts, it is all happening in one area. It's in Jerusalem. See, Jesus' words to his disciples were Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, and it's only happening in Jerusalem. You see, one of the biggest roles of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, and you can read it, it it's hard not to miss, it's hard to miss, is that the Holy Spirit compels his church to get out of our racial, out of our political, out of our cultural comfort zones, not for the sake of being woke or culturally relevant, but for the sake of the gospel being spread. It's what the Spirit does. See, any time he sees kind of the church getting too comfortable or too settled in Jerusalem, there is like this move of compelling the church to get out of that comfort zone and go reach new territory with the message of Jesus Christ. And what I love about the book of Acts, especially as we read into chapter 8 here, is uh, in chapter 8, we start to see this movement happen. God sees that the church is getting settled in Jerusalem, and what does he do? He sends the perfect political leader just to help them stay exactly that way. No, he doesn't. He stirs his church. He agitates the waters. He flips some things over so that the church and the gospel message will spread on his behalf. This is what happens in Acts chapter 8, verse 
1. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Do you see what's happening? You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. The gospel message is starting to spread because people are being stirred out of their element for its sake. Whether it's persecution, whether it's promptings and the movement of the Holy Spirit, people are being stirred out of their comfort zone. And it's a beautiful thing. One of my favorite characters in the book of Acts is a guy named Philip the Evangelist. Philip the Evangelist is kind of like the rock star of Acts chapter 8 here. And this isn't the same Philip that was a disciple, one of the 12 that followed Jesus, same name, different people. Philip the Evangelist, we don't know a lot about him, but what we do know is that he was Jewish and that he was a powerhouse of leaving his comfort zone for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of people. He was a powerhouse for going to people who were different than him and reaching them with the gospel message. You see, Philip is a Jewish man, and every single morning, Jewish men would get up and pray this prayer right here. God, thank you for not making me a woman, a slave, or a Gentile. God, thank you for not making me a woman or a slave or a Gentile. And so you can imagine how controversial this would be that the gospel is not just for Jewish men. It's for women and kids and Gentiles and all kinds of different people that don't necessarily fit the box of who even the disciples believed the gospel was for at times. See, the Spirit is constantly in the book of Acts moving people out of their comfort zone into new territory for Jesus' sake. In fact, look here with me in Acts chapter 8, in verse 26 here. Take a look at this guy named Philip and, and what he does in verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he arose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. So I want you to think about this for a moment. The Holy Spirit is calling a man who would have began his days with the prayer, God, thank you for not making me a woman, a slave, or a Gentile, and he is being sent to an Ethiopian eunuch. The differences between these two people could not be more stark. They are racially different from each other. They are sexually different from each other. They are culturally different from each other. This is a black African man from modern-day Sudan who is a eunuch. Now, young people in the room, if you don't know what eunuch means, John Michael would love to explain it to you <laughs> later on. <laughs> but eunuchs, eunuchs were super common from that area. In fact, this guy had been elevated for uh, service and royalty 
by kind of making this choice to be castrated and become a eunuch, it was almost like a status symbol for his people. It meant that he had given up everything in his life to be in service of this queen. I don't know why they required that. That's no small commitment, but that's what they did in that, in that region during that time. And so this eunuch, he is obviously hungry for something. And so he's coming to Jerusalem to worship in the temple. And I want you to listen to what he says as Philip joins him in verse 27b. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. You see, God's message to Philip is that Jesus is going to compel you to get out of your comfort zone, out of your element for my sake. The gospel message is going to call you to the Ethiopian eunuchs of the world. It's going to call you to Samaritan sorcerers, which was just a few verses before here. It's going to call you out of your comfort zone. When was the last time, Center Church, that Jesus called us out of our element, out of our comfort zone for the sake of the gospel? Some of us are like, I got my pajamas off today and came to church. That's out of my element enough, buddy. But, but I think that's what we've seen over this last year, right? Like, what happens? Everything about our element has been stripped away. And I got to be honest, like, we as the church, not, not just center church, but the church at large has not handled it all that well. We've been stirred out of our element. And what we found is just these straws to kind of grasp onto, to either hold onto our rights or our opinions or our perspectives. And we've actually kind of separated into our own tribes. And it's just this is ugly thing, to be quite frank, that's happening in the church as a result of this season and what the Holy Spirit does time and again, this isn't just one instance in the book of Acts, is he says, no, actually my church will leave their element for other people's sake. They will get out of what is comfortable. They will go to the places and the people and the converse and have the conversation that nobody else wants to have because the message of the gospel matters that much. It's that important. And so as you, as you see this encounter between Philip and this eunuch, this eunuch is returning from worshiping in Jerusalem, which means that he was religiously Jewish. In fact, he would have made a 1,500-mile journey by chariot just to go worship in this temple in Jerusalem. He would have bypassed other places of Jewish worship just to get to the temple in Jerusalem. And what he would have normally experienced at this temple is a cleansing baptism to get into the temple. It was a certain type of Jewish ritual that kind of made someone who was unclean clean so that they could worship in the temple. And as a eunuch, what he would have encountered is an absolute rejection at the point of this baptism. You see, eunuchs were not allowed to worship in the temple Deuteronomy 23.1 and other ancient Jewish texts forbid eunuchs from worshiping in the temple. And so when this particular eunuch from Ethiopia would have arrived at the temple, he would have been met with a rejection to be baptized and not being allowed to enter the temple. Now, if you're like me, the question that I find myself asking is, how would they know? <laughs> Anybody else thinking that? How would they know he's a eunuch? Like, did you need a vaccine passport or something to get in? Too soon? Way too soon, I know. How would they know? There's two reasons they would have known. The first one is because of his race. They would have known that Ethiopians tended to produce eunuchs, and so that would have kind of 
like raised red flags for temple guards to begin with. And then the second way they would have known that this guy was a eunuch is that you don't, let's see how I want this. I'm going to be careful when I say this. Uh, you don't not produce testosterone for your life and not have like some noticeable external features, right? Like this guy not having produced testosterone for so long would have, like it would have been visible in some capacities that he was sexually different than the temple guards. So it's his race and his gender that are different, and he has been effectively shut out of the religious system of his day. Now, Center Church, I got to ask us a hard question. I asked this of my church this past weekend. I'm going to ask the same one of us today. When we look at ourselves as individual followers of Christ, as individual disciples, do we look more like temple guards standing watch saying who is in and who is out in this gospel? Or, don't miss this, do we look like Phillips, filled to overflowing with the power of the Holy Spirit, actively pursuing others that have been rejected, who have been shut out, who have been outcast? Are we Phillips, filled with the Spirit, or are we temple guards, standing watch and saying who is in and who is out? You know, when I think about the church today, when I look at just kind of some of the studies and the research of just kind of the church in America and what is happening, the top three words that consistently people bring up, study after study as to how they would describe the church in America today are these three words right here. Number one is anti-gay. Number two is judgmental. And number three is hypocritical. Now, those three words are probably surprising to absolutely no one listening. I mean, that sounds about right, right? Like, that's how the world tends to describe the church today. But I don't know if I'm just content with that being the description of what the world sees of the church. See, I think we've bought this cultural lie that you have to somehow reject good theology in order to love people really well, and that could not be further from the truth. That could not be further from the truth. Radical love and good theology are not enemies of each other. In fact, we have a Savior that said radical love is good theology. Love God and love people. This is the entirety of the law and the prophets. And so what churches end up believing is that, hey, if we want to be a place that's going to be welcoming to people, we have to somehow compromise on our theology, and that's just simply not true. You know, Center Church and, and New Life, we would hold to a historically Christian view of marriage that would say one man, one woman for life, and there's a beautiful, beautiful, rich theology in Scripture of why we hold to that. I'm not going to get into that today. But here's what I find so interesting, that when you poll LGBT people or people who have been rejected from the church, study after study confirms that it's actually not the church's beliefs that are keeping people out. It's not theology. It's actually a lot more to do with posture. In fact, there was a study done just a couple years ago of thousands of LGBT people who had left the church. And these are some of the results that they found that just blew my mind. The first one asked, why did you leave the church? And look what they said here. Only 3% of LGBT people who had left the church left because of theology of marriage and beliefs. 3% which means 97% of LGBT people who left their churches left for other reasons, like I couldn't find community. 
I couldn't struggle or express kind of the doubts and things that I was walking through, the shame that I was navigating in the context of other people for fear of just being rejected and kicked out. All of it, every single person that took this survey, 97% said it was not theology, it was posture. It was pride, it was hypocrisy, it was those types of things. The next thing that just blew my mind is 76% of LGBT people would be open to returning to church if some things changed. 76% of LGBT people would be open to a return to the church if some things changed. Now, you might be sitting there asking, what things? What things specifically? Well, this last part, I think, is, is really encouraging. 8% of them said the church's theology needs to change before they'd ever return. For those of you mathematicians in here, how many then are open to return that has nothing to do with theology? 92%. This is a survey of thousands of LGBT people in our country in the last couple years. This isn't an old survey. This is a newer survey. And study after study in church, kind of um, church statistics and things like that show this to be true. That if the church's posture becomes one of humility, of humble pursuit of people, if the church is willing to be stirred and agitated by the Holy Spirit to get out of our element, to pursue people more, then openness to Jesus rises dramatically. This is just one issue. This is a hot-button issue, but this is just one issue. And here's what I know to be true. The radical love for people, that, that being a Philip in the world means pursuing people where they're at. It means going to the places and the people that you may have thought are too far gone or out of bounds or too broken to experience the love of Jesus. Radical love for people who are different can look like sitting with people and modeling the gospel face-to-face, -face, not just through Facebook posts, not just through ranting online, but sitting face-to-face -face and showing people what the gospel looks like when it's personified. Another way to do it is to honor the image of God in people by just a humble willingness to listen to stories. You know, I meet with a lot of people in Wayland who are struggling with just different things, whether it's mental illness or substance abuse or poverty rates, and you would not believe the power that can come with just sitting with somebody, not having all the answers, not trying to shove theology down someone's throat, but simply just by listening and honoring them by hearing their story. It is a powerful posture shift that we as Christians can take in the church. And then the last thing for me is I've just been praying the simple prayer, God, give me your eyes to see people. God, give me your eyes to see people. I don't have all the answers walking into conversations. I don't have half the answers walking into them, but God, just give me your eyes for people who might be different than me. And this is what Philip does. This is what Philip does. He displays radical love by willing to get out of his element for somebody racially, sexually, culturally different than he is. And this is what happens as we read on in verse 29. And the Spirit said to Philip, again, here's the Holy Spirit speaking and moving, go over and join this chariot. 
So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked him, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, if you can imagine, this is kind of a ridiculous scene because what the text is saying is that Philip is running alongside this Ethiopian riding in his chariot. Like, I picture him like just kind of jogging, like looking over the edge, being like, what are you reading there? It's kind of a ridiculous scene. Philip's probably in his full work clothes, drenched in sweat, like the guy I saw. But he's, he's kind of eavesdropping in on what this African Ethiopian eunuch is, is reading. And here's what, we, here's what we know he's reading. He's reading from the prophet Isaiah, specifically in a section of Isaiah called the Servant Songs, that talk about this coming Messiah who will suffer on behalf of his people, who will be cut off, who will be utterly rejected, thrown out, castrated from his people, essentially. And what the Ethiopian eunuch would have come across just a few verses later is a passage in Isaiah that says, because of this Messiah, even eunuchs will be given a name better than son and daughter in God's family. See, this eunuch, he is hungry for something. He is hungry for the stuff of the kingdom of God. He is searching and he's seeking and he's pursuing it. And when Philip comes to him, all Philip has to do is meet him where he's at and show him who the person of Jesus is. Friends, you will never meet a person in your entire life who is not deeply hungry for the stuff of the kingdom of God. You'll never meet somebody who's not hungry for the stuff of the kingdom of God. They may not know it. They may not know how to articulate it. But you will never meet somebody who is not desperately hungry for the person of Jesus. Let's go back to the LGBT community. Most people in the LGBT community are pursuing freedom from shame. But what they're doing is they're looking to a community that can put band-aids on a solution. And I got to tell you guys, Jesus is the only one who can truly heal shame. And that's all, that's all Philip does here is he makes the connection for this Ethiopian eunuch. See, the stuff you're hungry for is found in the person of Jesus. I work with a lot of people who feel forgotten by the society that we live in. A lot of people in the farming community that I live with, that I do ministry with, they just feel utterly forgotten and shut out by the culture and the country that we live in. That's why sitting down and listening to somebody's story, giving them dignity and honoring the image of God in them is such a powerful thing to do because hearing someone's story gives them a voice to be heard. There are people also in your life who are walking around feeling like they are absolute failures at parenting, at their job, maybe in school. Imagine what you could do as a Christ follower by just showing them that there is inherent dignity and worth not based on performance, not based on accomplishment or achievement, but based solely on the fact that Jesus shed his blood for them. You see, what the gospel does is it casts this extremely broad and inclusive net. Everyone is welcome. Everyone. There are no exceptions. When I say everyone, what do I mean? Everyone. Everyone. 
But this is what Philip does, and don't miss this, because this is really important. The gospel is not just this broad net that gets cast and says, hey, like everyone, and do what you want, and live how you want, and all of these things. That's not the gospel. What Philip does is he casts a broad net for the gospel. It's available to Ethiopian eunuchs, Samaritan sorcerers. The same gospel is available to Pharisees with blood on their hands and Roman centurions and women at wells and sons who had rejected their father and all these different people. The gospel is available to all people. It is a wide net. But the gospel has an incredibly exclusive message at the end of it. That those longings that you have, that those things that you're searching for, that that stuff that is out of alignment in your life can only find its fulfillment and healing through one person. And his name is Jesus Christ. That's it right there. I mean, that's what Philip does. He pursues people broadly and then shows them the narrow path that Jesus is Lord. See, I think we get this backwards sometimes in the church. We are called to have an outrageously open posture towards people with a ridiculously exclusive message that is through Christ alone that our hope is found. But sometimes I think what we do is our posture looks more like this. It's it's closed off. We have an exclusive posture. And other Christians I see have kind of this inclusive message, right? Anything goes, like anything, there's no right way to live and no wrong way to live and obedience is a dirty word and authority is a bad thing and all of these things. Don't miss this. Don't mix these two up. Incredibly inclusive posture, ridiculously exclusive message. It is through Jesus alone that salvation is found. And all Philip does for this eunuch, for this guy who is different than him, is he connects those dots for him. And I love what happens in verse 34 through 38 as we finish out this story here. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with the scripture, he told them the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. What a moment! What a moment for this Ethiopian eunuch who have been just come from the temple and experienced rejection and not being able to be baptized because of the person of Jesus. Philip immediately meets him where he's at. Again, the text says here he began with the scripture that the eunuch was already in. He met him where he was. And then because of the person of Jesus, these two people who could not be more different become brothers in Christ. That's the power of the gospel that you carry with you. That is the power of the Jesus message. Students, I see you guys back there. Like That's the message that you carry within you to your schools. That is a powerful message. So weird and so different than anything else in this world right now is this message that says because of Jesus, you can belong. You know, when Jesus gave his disciples this commission and he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses to all kinds of people and places that are different than you. 
what would have been very normal in his day and his time was when a new king was kind of instated on a throne, it would be up to the subjects. So a new Caesar comes into power over Rome, it would be up to his servants, his subjects, to go to every corner of the Roman Empire to announce his kingship. There's a new king on the throne, there's a new king here, and that is exactly what Jesus is asking his disciples to do, to go to every corner, to go to every place, to make sure no place and no people group is off limits for the gospel message and the hope that that provides. That is a big calling of the church. It's huge. See, your job is to get out of your element and announce that Jesus is transforming the world. That the reign and rule of heaven is coming to earth and things are being made new as a result. My new kingdom is here and people living in the power of my Holy Spirit will get out of their element to tell people about it. Whatever it takes. See, that's the hope of the gospel. That Jesus, Jesus, became a man He became a leper for lepers. He became a eunuch for eunuchs. He became sin on your behalf so that you would not have to live under the slavery and the domination of sin anymore. That is the hope of the gospel. You see, for this eunuch to see this in the person of Jesus, finally what he's experiencing is these deep longings that maybe he didn't have words for or know how to articulate. They are being found and they are being met in the person of of Jesus Christ. Church, I believe that if we can get really, really good at identifying people's core longings, what makes them angry like that? What makes them bitter? Why are they lashing out so much? Why is that coworker so grumpy all the time? Why is my kid never wanting to talk to me? Why is my classmate such a jerk? Like, if we can get below some of these things with people, through a willingness to just listen to their stories, I have found time and time again in my life that doors open for the person of Jesus and the gospel message. I have friends that are shocked when Christians are nice to them. Like, that's how low the bar is right now. Like, just being nice to people is a phenomenal starting point for conversations about the gospel. And that's obviously not all there is to it. There's a lot more to that, but, but it's about this active pursuit about being filled with the person of the Holy Spirit. When I look at my life, when I look at my life, every single move of God that I have seen has involved me getting out of my element, out of my comfort zone. Every single one. Maybe that's not the case for you, but as I was preparing this message this morning, I realized and I noticed every single time I have seen God's unmistakable work in my life, it has involved some level of getting out of my element, getting into unknown territory, and getting uncomfortable for his sake. I mentioned uh, that we live and work in Wayland now. And if you were to tell me three years ago that I would be living on a farm owning 22 chickens and eight barn cats and a pony and two dogs and all of that junk, I would have thought you were crazy. See, I lived in the north side of Grand Rapids, and my wife and I believe that God was calling us to an urban context. In fact, we had spent a lot of time in the south side of Chicago and really loved and felt called to that community. And it was over this year-long process where God just began to stir me and speak to me and really agitate what was comfortable in my life. 
for a year, I spent time praying with other pastors and people, God, why are you releasing me from the position I'm in right now? I was in student ministry at a great church named Frontline. Maybe you've heard of it. (laughs) Just, God, what are you doing? Why are you stirring this in me? Why are you releasing me from this? And it took a year of just fervent prayer and pursuing him and just running after him with everything I had for him to be able to say and for him to get my attention clearly and say, it's actually not an urban context I'm calling you to. It's a rural one. (laughs) I don't scream rural here. And yet in that time, I've seen God move in ways that I can't even describe. Two months after we moved to Wayland to do ministry there, one of our students in our church was killed in a car accident. He actually worked and was driving for Minio's right two doors down from you guys. And through that experience, I saw, I saw people come to Jesus. People get baptized. See, God moves when we're not in our element anymore. And I believe for, for some of us, Getting out of our element means going to the cubicle next door and beginning a faith-based conversation with somebody. For others of us, maybe you're in a family and you are feeling stirred and called to get involved in serving some capacity as a family. I know Center students right now is in the process of launching a ministry and John's heart is for students. I, I see that from him every single day. Church, adults, do you know what one of the best predictors of a successful student ministry is in a church? How invested and involved other adults are in making that happen. Where is God calling you to get out of your element for the sake of people? I know John has a vision to see 12 mission strips happen a year here at Center Church. Maybe that's where God is going to call you. Allow the Holy Spirit to stir in you this morning. I know it's Memorial Day weekend. We're all in vacation mode. I love it too. But don't miss this moment to let the Holy Spirit move powerfully in your life, to stir you out of your element, out of what is comfortable. And so I want to just end with this question here this morning. Are you willing to leave your element for Jesus' sake? Are you willing to get out of what is comfortable and known as a spiritual discipline? Like once a week, find opportunities to get out of your element for the gospel's sake and watch God move powerfully, not just in lives around you, but in your own life as a result. I promise you'll see him like you've never seen him before. Let me offer a prayer for us this morning, and then we will uh, we'll worship. God, you are so good that as I think about this gospel that we carry with us, it is the gospel of a God who got out of his element for us. So God, I pray over over Center Church, over Byron Center, over this community, God, and the communities that are represented in this room and watching online, God, I pray that we will be a type of people that is willing to get out of our element so that others can be drawn into you. 
God, I pray for students in this room, college students and high school students watching, God. I pray that these people, I see such an awakening in this younger generation, such a signs of revival, God, happening for this younger generation. I pray that, that students will feel called out of their element for your sake. Maybe that's inviting a friend to youth group or um, sharing the gospel with a friend or just sitting and hearing someone's story, God. I pray that you will call us out of our element for the sake of people so that we can be a church that is truly for people because you are for people. And so, God, we love you. And it's your name alone that we worship and praise this morning. And everyone said, amen.